Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulihil karim. Nabina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. So continuing with our study of the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawwi. Right now we're studying the 31st hadith. What's the wording of the 31st hadith? Who can give a... Um, Translation of the meaning of the 31st hadith. Ach, uh, Muhammad, did you raise your hand? Just a translation of the meaning of the hadith as a recap for everybody. Nice and loud and clear. Abstain from the worldly matters, okay? That will cause Allah to love you. Yeah, so abstain from what is in the hands of people. Yeah, and then people will love you. Fantastic. Khair. Why did the pro uh, Prophet say that? Why did the Prophet say, abstain from the dunya, Allah will then love you. Abstain from what is in the hands of people, and then people will love you. What's the context of this hadith? Why did he... Say that, Ya Sheikh Hisham. Because you'll be rewarded with Jannah. That's right. But what I'm asking here is what's the context of this statement? Why did the Prophet say this? Ya Sheikh Ridwan. Fantastic, to educate the person that asked him something. So, Ya Sheikh Ammar, what was the question that the person asked the Prophet? Fantastic, so now a man asked the Prophet, O oh Prophet, tell me an action that if I do it, <coughs> Allah will love me. And people will love me. Direct me to an action that if I did it, Allah will love me. And people will love me as well. And so the Prophet, he made this statement. Right. So now um, we discussed several matters. The Prophet said in the statement, abstain from the dunya. Ooh, the Arabic word for abstention from the dunya is what? Zuhud. And we looked at, there were several meanings that the scholars of the past have given concerning Zuhud. Who can mention some meanings that the scholars of the past have given concerning Zuhud? Leaving off too much socializing. What else? Uh, well, not leaving off eating and drinking, absolutely. But yes, leaving off having a full stomach. Abstaining from having a full stomach. What else? Leaving off, wanting uh, leadership. So leaving off the desire to get leadership, to uh, to be the to have the upper hand. For example, if you're having an argument, things like this. So these are meanings that have been given concerning zuhud, and they're all part and parcel of zuhud. They're all part and parcel of abstention from the dunya, being 
ascetic, ascetic concerning the, the dunya. However, one of the scholars of the past, Abu Suleiman al-Darani, he gave a definition of a zuhd, which was very all-inclusive. It was very comprehensive. Does anybody remember his definition of zuhd? What did Abu Suleiman al-Darani say concerning a zuhd? I'm just wanting to see more hands, if there are any. Tamam, Sheikh Muhammad. Leave off whatever preoccupies you from Allah. Your creator, your maker has made a home for you that is far more blissful and it is eternal. It is the, it is the life of the hereafter. Anything that will busy you from that, anything that will busy you from the hereafter, from your Rabb, from remembering your love, from remembering your Rabb, leave that off. That action of leaving those things that will preoccupy you from remembering Allah, that thing is called zuhud. That thing is called abstention. Sheikh Ridwan, have you got something? Oh, we're going to get to that. All right, hold that thought right there. We're going to get there. Okay, so what you're talking about is the next question, which is what zuhud, abstention from the dunya? Is it therefore merely and solely having tatty clothes, eating coarse food, rough food? Eh? What is zuhud in reality? Or the question, with a more precise expression, zuhud, is it something that is solely external? No. Okay, so therefore zuhud is what? It's, it's internal, right? The actual asal of zuhd is internal. Even though the manifestation of zuhd is a person keeping away from dunyawi matters, that is the manifestation of zuhd. The person, you say someone is a zahid, why? Because he, doesn't, he only has a few clothes. He uh, has a house which is a very humble house. So a person may say, this person is a person of zuhud, this person is a person of abstention. But that isn't necessarily the case. Zuhud in reality is in there, it's inside the heart. Zuhud in reality, it's inside the heart. Therefore, you may find a person who has little clothes. You'll find a person who has, lives in a very small Apartment, studio apartment, for example, or a bedsit. He doesn't have any vehicles to use to get from A to B. He doesn't have a car, right? He's not well off at all. He lives off very little. A per when you see someone like that, what would most people say about him? If you see a person who has very little of the dunya, what would most people say about him? That he's a person of, of, of zuhd, isn't it? Right? You see a person... He, only, he, only, he has a few clothes, tatty clothes, his income is little, and so on and so forth. You get the picture. Most people would say, ah, he's a man of zuhd. Yet, that person may be, he may be a person that loves the dunya more than most people. He may be a person who loves what other people have of the dunya than those people themselves. 
that person therefore isn't really a man of zuhud now. Why? Because the thing that carries weight is what is inside of his heart. Let's turn the tables now. You may find a person who has lots of clothes, nice clothes. Allah has given him a lot of wealth. He has a lot of inheritance, maybe. Maybe he has a job or a business that earns him a lot of wealth. He has a nice big house, he has nice cars and what have you. But he is from Azhad al-Nas. He is from the most abstentious of people. How? How can he be from the most abstentious of people when he has a fantastic house, a fantastic car, he has a really good job? How? How? Because of something that's inside his, his heart. Something that's inside of his heart that makes him, in the eyes of Allah, a man of zuhd, a man of abstention. Ah, so it's unlike what you find some of the mystics claiming. Some of the mystics people, which I'm sure you've got an ample amount of here in Bolton. Some of the mystic people, you'll find them saying, so-and-so, he's a man of zuhd, he's a man of, of abstention. Why? Because you can see that he doesn't have much of the dunya. So-and-so, they'll say, he is a man of dunya. Why? Look at the house that he lives in. Look at the car that he drives. Look at how much wealth he has and so on and so forth. These people, they've missed the thing that they were meant to pay the most amount of attention to. They've missed the mark. What was the mark that they've missed? The heart. Zuhud in reality, it is in the heart and then it becomes manifest upon the external aspects of a human being. Okay, so now we've emphasized the fact that zuhud is actually in the heart. What is this thing that's meant to be in the heart then? What is the thing that is meant to be found in your heart to be a man of zuhud? What is the thing that is meant to be found in a person's heart for her to be a woman of zuhud? How many of those things did we mention last week? There are certain characteristics that should be found in your heart. Pillars of zuhud, if you like. They're meant to be in your heart. How many? Anjit, very good. Three. Three components of zuhud. They need to be in your heart. If they're in your heart, you are a man of zuhud. You are a woman of abstention from the dunya. Who can mention one? One thing. I'm going to come to you, Ridwan, because you mentioned you were about to mention it before. So, what is it? Yeah. Then, when he isn't, very good. So, one of the components that you're meant to have inside of your heart, if you want to be a person of zuhud, is that for a for in paraphrasing it. Your state of mind, when you're afflicted with a musibah, when you're afflicted with a calamity, when you're afflicted with disaster, should be the same as your state of mind when you are not afflicted with a calamity, are not afflicted with a disaster. Who can give me an example of a calamity, an example of a disaster, an example of an affliction? Sheikh Abbas. Sorry, loss of wealth, right? So you, you, you've got a business, you put years of effort in there, and then 
For example, overnight, the business goes kaput. You're bankrupt, right? Your state of mind. If you want to be a man of zuhud, right? This is a high level now we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, the mandatory state. The mandatory state is that you don't become resentful against the decree of Allah. But now what we're talking about as far as this hadith is concerned is a higher level, right? The higher level is what? That your state of mind when your business goes kaput is the same as it was before the business went kaput. Another example on this principle, Isa. Did you put your hand up? No? Okay. Anybody else? Another example of uh, a disaster, a calamity that happens in your life. Loss of? Loss of someone beloved, did you say? Yeah. Loss of a loved one, right? So you have a family member that you lose. And obviously we all know that is something very, very painful. If it is the case that you can make that mujahada of your soul, strive your soul to be such that once you lose, that day that you lose, your father or your mother or your son or your daughter or your wife or your husband, that if you can have that mind such that it is when you do end up losing your father or your son or your brother or your sister or your mother, it's the same as it was before you lost them. Your state of mind is the same before you lost them. You have that patience, you have that contentment with the decree of Allah, the same contentment that you had before you lost them. They say about Sheikh Badiuddin Shah Sindhi, Rahimahullah, uh, one of the scholars from Pakistan, Rahimahullah. Um, I, remember be, I remember being men, uh, told about him that the Sheikh was giving a lecture. The Sheikh was giving a lecture. And he receives a phone call. He receives a phone call and he says, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. When do you say this statement? When you hear about someone having passed away. Puts the phone down and he continues with the lecture. After the lecture is finished, it's mentioned, Ya Shaykh, you said, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Who passed away? Huh? His mother. His mother. So the point being is, this is how, يعني, this is the high station. It is a high station for a person to aim towards. But if a person does aim towards that, then yes, he has attained a component from the components of the people of, of Zuhud. Essentially, you cut off hope in life, right? You don't cut off hope in Allah. You don't cut off hope in, in what Allah has in store for you. You have hope in Allah that if I am good, if I'm sincere, if I'm righteous, Allah will not let my deeds go to waste. So you don't become uh, 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 losing hope as far as Allah is concerned, but as far as the dunya, you set your expectations low. You have your expectations of life low. Life, as far as, as far as lifespan is concerned, you set your expectation concerning your lifespan low. I am 30 right now. I'm 35. I'm 40. Uh, will I live to be 35? Will I live to be 40? 
will I live to be 45? I'm going to set my expectation low. I'm earning wealth right now. Is it the case that I'm going to have a big business and lots of wealth? I dream about having a nice house. I go on rightmove.co.uk and I look at the houses that are available and I look at the three bedroom, four bedroom semi-detaches and I have, uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set my expectation low. If I get that house, alhamdulillah, if I don't, I'm not bothered. Doesn't make a difference. If I have the house, if I have that pleasure, it's the same to me as if I didn't have it. So the point being, the state of mind that a person has, when he's afflicted with affliction, when the dunya is taken from him, is the same as it would be if the dunya wasn't taken from him. Why? Because he sets his expectations low as far as dunya is concerned. But the akhirah, he sets them high. So that's two comp um, it's one component that we've mentioned so far of zuhud. That you have the same state of mind when you are afflicted with something than you did before the affliction. What else? Another component. Hisham. It's a long day, Juan. That, we're going to get to that tonight, inshallah. That's the other part of the hadith, the second part of the hadith. We'll get to that, inshallah. Ahmed. Fantastic. Confidence in what Allah has. More confidence in what Allah has in store for you than what is readily available in your hand right now. Right? Who can elaborate upon that? Who can elaborate upon that? So, another component of zuhud is that you have more confidence in what Allah has than the confidence that you have, the reliance that you have, the faith that you have concerning things that you have. Ah, Anjam. Sorry? Yeah, tawakkal. That's essentially what we're talking about. Tawakkal upon Allah. Yaqeen with what uh, Allah has in store for you. But who can elaborate upon that? Who can give us an example? For example, you buy a new car. You can't be too confident that it's going to be that it's going to work. Allahumma barik. Fantastic. You should have more confidence in Allah taking care of you, in Allah sorting you out, in Allah taking care of you, than you have in that car of yours. That car that has passed its MOT, fantastically operating, but at the end of the day, it could end up mashing up for a lack of better terms. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will not oppress you. Therefore, have more confidence in what Allah has in store for you. If you have that, if you like that, that is a second component of zuhud. Third component. Third component of zuhud. Sheikh Abad, did you have your hand up there? Tafadda. Yeah. Ahsan, barakallahu feek. That the one who praises you and the one who rightfully may criticize you, they are the same in your eyes. The one who praises you and the one who rightfully criticizes you in your eyes, they're the same. Meaning that you have no love for being praised. You have no love for being, for being praised. So if somebody does end up criticizing you, 
rightfully criticizes you, you don't become ashamed, you don't become embarrassed, you don't let your ego get to you. Why? Because people's opinion in the first place never had any value in your eyes anyhow. What people thought of you, the opinion that people had of you, it had no value before your eyes anyhow. Doesn't mean that you don't treat people with respect. Doesn't mean that you don't honor people and what have you. It doesn't mean that you're not grateful to people and so on and so forth. But in the grand scheme of things, a person's opinion concerning you had no value. Meaning, it's not something that affected your... You didn't, you didn't consider it to, to affect your dignity and what have you. So if somebody rightfully criticizes you, you make a mistake. He criticizes you, you don't allow your ego to get to you. You don't allow yourself to become overwhelmed with, oh, how can so-and-so criticize me? It doesn't bother you. Rather, you appreciate. You appreciate the advice that is given you. You appreciate the criticism that is made concerning you because that criticism is going to benefit you. It was in its place. Likewise, the one who praises you has no value in your eyes. The one who praises you has no value in your eyes because what can a person's praise do for you? Is there any tangible benefit that you get by a person praising you? They're just words. It doesn't benefit you in anything. Words that come out of a person's mouth they're just words, they don't benefit you. And the only thing that you are bothered about as far as praise is concerned is praise from Allah about you. What people say about you, MashaAllah, you're a righteous person. MashaAllah, you're a generous person. Look at you, how much you donate towards the masjid. Look at you and how much uh, khair you do and so on and so forth. Doesn't bother you, doesn't mean anything to you because it's not going to do anything for you. If Allah praises you, if Allah loves Aywa, now there is benefit behind it, tangible benefit behind it. There is physical pleasure that you'll attain by Allah praising you. And that's why a person, if someone praises him, if someone rightfully criticizes him, it's like it's the same thing. So when you look at the scholars, when you look at the righteous, you find that they don't chase after being recognized, being praised. An example is um, Sheikh Uthaymeen on an occasion, he was invited to the Islamic University of Al-Madina to deliver a lecture. And Sheikh Abdul Razak Al-Badr, who is the, the son of Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad, the Sheikh whose commentary we're going through. Sheikh Abdul Razak al-Badr was requested to give the opening statement, right? You know, you have a sheikh that comes to give a lecture. So you have somebody that introduces the sheikh. He gives an opening statement, about a two-minute statement, a one-minute statement, whatever it may be. So now, Sheikh Abdul Razak, obviously this is what Sheikh Abdul Razak is relaying. I wasn't there. This is Sheikh Uthameen. He was at the university, obviously, he probably came in the 90s or the 80s or something like this. Sheikh Abdul Razak is giving the muqaddimah, he's giving the introduction. What does he say? We have with us tonight on this blessed noble night, we have with us a Sheikh 
العالم الإمام الفقيه محمد بن صالح يعني is giving and this there is nothing wrong with this if this is a separate subject praising somebody even if it may be in their face in order to acquaint the people about the fadl of this man about the virtue of this man about the virtue of this woman to acquaint the people about the status and the virtue of this man you can praise him even if it be in his presence as long as there aren't any factors that may indicate that this person will end up becoming filled with pride okay so if you have you know uh, uh, يعني, uh, some degree of uh, overwhelming opinion that this person he is not going to be filled with pride by me praising him in his presence then you can do so you can praise him in his presence why because there's an objective behind it and the discussion concerning that is lengthy but it's a separate discussion the messenger of allah alayhi salatu wasalam, he praised companions in their presence in their faces because there was a gharad there was an objective point being sheikh abdurazaq is saying we have with us tonight a sheikh al-imam al-allama muhammad bin salih al-uthaymeen sheikh uthaymeen in front of everybody in the auditorium stop sheikh abdurazaq yakfi that's enough no no don't go any further stop there Huh? Why? Because praise of people, number one, is not going to benefit me. And likewise, person fears that he's going to be put to trial by people's praise of him. Sheikh Al-Albani, another example, Sheikh Al-Albani. Similar situation, he's about to deliver a lecture. So now the one who is giving the introductory statement, he makes some praise of Sheikh Al-Albani. Shaykh al-Albani, what does he do? What does he say? He says, I thank the brother Ibrahim for his kind words concerning me. Right? I, I thank him for having a nice opinion of me. I thank him for his kind words. He was, trying to be, he was trying to be respectful. I thank him for his kind words. However, he has gone beyond what was appropriate in praise of me. And I've got nothing to say other than what... Khalifa to Rasulullah said, Who's the Khalifa of the Messenger of Allah? Abu Bakr. I've got nothing to say, Shaykh Al-Bani says, other than what Abu Bakr said when he was praised. What did Abu Bakr say? He said, Allahumma, la tu'akhidhni bima yaqulun. Allahumma, la tu'akhidhni bima yaqulun. Waghfilli bima la ya'lamun. Waj'alni khayran minma yadunnun. Oh Allah, don't take me to account for what the people are saying about me. People are praising me, people are commending me. Don't take me to account for what they're saying about me. Don't hold me accountable for that. And forgive me for the things that they don't know about me. Who's saying this? Abu Bakr, Khalifa al-Rasul. And make me better than what they think about me. They think I'm really good. Oh Allah, you know what I'm really like. Make me better than that. So Shaykh Al-Albani, when he was praised, he made this statement. Why did he make this statement? Shaykh Al-Albani, and he's making the statement while he is crying. Shaykh Al-Albani, not only is he trying to fend off this praise that's been made against him, 
But likewise, he becomes overwhelmed and he's crying. Hafid rahimahullah ta'ala. And he relays the statement of Abu Bakr Why? Why? Because at the end of the day, praise of people, it's not going to benefit you. So when it is the case that a person has that attitude, that essentially he doesn't, he doesn't have any love for the praise of people, then he's going to be a man of zuhud, a man of abstention. He's going to be wearing a nice thobe perhaps. She'll have a nice car perhaps. Allah may have granted them lots of children. They may have a nice house, for example. However, they are people of zuhud in the eyes of Allah because they have these three underlying components. If tomorrow comes and the house is gone, kids are gone, wife is gone, house is gone, job is gone, doesn't make any difference to him. Why? Because the underlying components, they were there in his heart to begin with. So that is as far as the matter, the statement of the Messenger of Allah والسلام, when he said, Izhad fid dunya Allah is concerned. Make zuhud of the dunya and Allah will love you. Then the Messenger والسلام, he said, Wazhad fi ma inda nas nas. And abstain. Abstain from what? People have, and then people will love you. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad he said concerning this: "Anas harisun ala al-mal wal-mata' fi al-hayat al-dunya, wal-ghalibu alayhim imsaku ma fi aydihim wa adam al-judi bihi." The nature of us as people is that we're very we're very protective over material matters our nature as human beings the nature of the human beings on the most part is that they are very protective over the dunyawi matters material matters money and so on and so forth so forth as allah has said in the quran himself he said have taqwa of Allah as much as you're able and hear and obey and spend it is better for you وَمَنْ يُوْقَ شُحَّ نَفْسِهِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ This is the point and whoever is protected from the stinginess of his own of him of him own self then they are the successful ones Meaning, Allah has clearly mentioned in this ayah that we have this, 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 this thing of shuh, of stinginess and niggardliness inside of ourselves and greediness inside of ourselves where we don't want to depart from our wealth. We don't, we don't want other people to take our wealth. And we're very protective of, of, over our wealth. So therefore... When that is the nature of human being in general, that they are stingy and they're very keen and ardent over their merchandise and over their material possessions, when that is the case, then you, wanting what is in the hands of people, is going to make them become averse to you. 
When you become very keen and ardent over what is in the hands of other people, then that is, gonna, that is going to make people run away from you, flee away from you. They're not going to like you. They're going to want to keep away from your company. So a person, he should keep away from wanting what is in the hands of people, craving after what is in the hands of people. Either by tasrih, either by being explicit and being um, explicit. Yani, for example, a person says, I want your watch, right? You have a nice watch that you got the other day from the shop. And you go up to, somebody comes up to you and he says, ah, I want your watch. That's a, where did you get that watch from? I want it, right? So now you are being explicit. You're being blatant. That's the word I was looking for. You're being blatant now, that you want what that person has of the dunya, right? You're, you're showing to the person that I want it, and you're being explicit and blatant in that regard. That's one manner of wanting and expecting what other people have. The other is being indirect. The other way is being indirect. So you see that MashaAllah, Yunus has a nice watch. Nice, beautiful watch. Or I have, for example, a nice, beautiful watch. So you come up to Ali and you say, Ya Ali, MashaAllah, Sa'atak Jamila. Your watch is really nice, Ya Ali. And then the next day comes, you see me next week. Ya Ali, MashaAllah, Ya Ali, beautiful, beautiful watch you have. If only I had a watch like that. Huh? Where did you get it from? Oh, beautiful watch. Huh? He touches my watch and he plays. Can I just, I just want to see what it looks like on my hand. So he takes it off my hand, puts it on his hand. MashaAllah. It suits me, doesn't it? Huh? He's not being, he's not being musarrih. He's not being blatant. But he's giving me a big indication that this watch, he, he does want it. Uh, maybe it might be difficult for Ali now. Uh, this watch, my, uh, maybe my wife got it for me. When I go home, the watch isn't there, I might be in trouble. Uh, so maybe Ali doesn't want to part from his watch. What would this result in? This could result in the person not wanting to be with you anymore. This could result in the person not wanting to be in your company anymore. This could result in the person يعني, fleeing from you, not liking you essentially. For lack of better terms, he's not going to like you. So now if you, wanna, if you want to achieve the opposite, which is what this companion was asking the Prophet, how do I get the love of people? Don't go after what's in their hands. Don't go after what people have. Either by being blatant or even by being indirect. If you're like that, if people notice that, that you don't really seek after, anticipate after what they have, then they're going to be okay with you. They like to have you in their company and so on and so forth. And at the, end of the, at the end of the day, you have to have some social company. You can't become a hermit. You can't become somebody who is يعني, not having any companions at all. You have to have some good companionship, some company which encourages you to become a righteous person. So therefore, the one who wants to attain the love of the people, 
and let him leave off aspiring and expecting and anticipating and yearning after what they have, either by being blatant or by being indirect. As far as the benefits of this hadith are concerned, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad he mentions five. This is part number four. Part number four is a summary of the benefits. Part number three was an explanation of the statement of the Prophet when he said, abstain from what people have and Allah will love you. We've completed that. Now part number four is a summary of the benefits. And they are five. Number one, Hirsu Sahaba, Ala Ma Yajlubulahum Mahabbat Allah wa Mahabbatan Nas. First benefit, the keenness of the companions in knowing what will bring about Allah's love for them and people's love for them. The keenness of the companions in knowing what will bring about Allah's love for them and people's love for them. Number two, Ithbat Sifatil Mahabbah Lillahi Azza wa Jal. Establishing the sifa, the attribute of love for Allah Azza wa Jal. That Allah has the attribute of love. That Allah loves. Allah has the action of love. Actual love. Not metaphorical love. Not allegorical love. Real love. Actual love. Number three. أن الخير للعبد في محبة الله إياه. That the thing that is the best for the slave is Allah loving him. That thing that is the best for you is Allah loving you. Allah loving you is the best thing for you. Allah loving you is the best thing for you. Number four. أن مما يجلب محبة الله محبة الله الزهد في الدنيا. That the thing that brings about love of Allah, meaning love of Allah for you, is abstaining from the dunya. Number five. أن زهد المرء فيما في أيدي الناس سبب في محبتهم إياه فيحصل خيرهم ويسلم من شرهم. That a person abstaining from what is in the hands of everybody else is a cause of him earning their love and thus he ends up acquiring their goodness and being safe from their harm. When a, when a people love you, you, are, you can attain the benefit of their company and you're safe from their harm. They won't harm you, obviously, if they love you. And those are the five benefits that Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Al Abad Hafizahullah Ta'ala Hura'ah mentions. Does anything need repeating? No? Okay, if nothing needs repeating, then inshallah ta'ala, next week we'll continue with our study. This hadith, it's a short hadith. Qalilun fil mabna, ulakin azimun fil. It's a hadith, the wording of which is small, but its meaning is great. And therefore we spent some time elucidating upon it, reflecting over it, because knowledge is not data. Knowledge is not just data, whereby you get information and you just memorize the facts, the figures, 
the pieces of information and then you walk along. No, knowledge is meant to be is 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 meant to have an effect upon you. So therefore, if it requires reflection, and the pers person should spend time reflecting over it, such that it such that it has an effect upon him. So we spent you know two lessons looking at this narration, even though it's so small in its wording, because of the tremendous benefit that it has and the tremendous need that we have of it. So next week, inshallah ta'ala, we'll most likely cover uh, the next hadith. Uh, so until then, Allah ta'ala a'lam wa sallallahu ma'ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alam.